Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen Podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacies of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast. I'm joined again by collections manager Connor Heaney. Hello, Connor. Hello, John, and uh, excited to get started on our first episode for 2022. It is indeed, yes, 2022. We're here already. It's, it's um, The year has kicked off and we've got a bit of an unusual vodcast podcast to kick off with because, because of course, for people who've been listening to us for a while, you'll know that you can watch these online on youtube but also you can listen in the usual places now people think of great filmmakers you know uh, steven spielberg george lucas and the rest who follow ray harryhausen it's no great surprise and we've worked with guillermo del toro and of course john landis but we've got a very unusual very famous ray harryhausen fan who's who's a bit out of the norm and it's cj ramon um for those of you who know the ramones yes it's that cj ramon so so connor can you tell me how how did this happen Yes, this was a very exciting interview uh, for me personally, and it's all thanks yet again to the wonders of social media. Uh, the foundation now have a, an Instagram page. We've had it for uh, a couple of years now, and I noticed that Mr. C.J. Ramon, Christopher Ward, his, his real name, um, was liking and commenting on a, on a large number of our posts. He's, uh, turns out he's a huge fan of Ray Harryhausen, and so I... Uh, I sent him a little private message to say, listen, would you be interested in joining me for a Zoom call at some point? And uh, he was uh, he was delighted to accept. And the resulting interview that you're about to watch uh, was a delightful conversation because he is, as, as I said, a huge fan of Ray Harryhausen. And he's actually a, a good friend of one of our uh, one of our foundation advisors, Caroline Monroe. He's met Caroline on a few occasions, and written and dedicated a song to her. So, John, do you, were you a fan of the Ramones in the, in the 1970s and 80s? Do you need a bit of background information on the band? And well, I remember the Ramones, and, uh, and of course, I remember hearing them on the radio. And uh, do, do you have some background prepared? Because it sounds like sort of a question a researcher would ask. Would you like me to tell you what I researched? So well, this is, this, is, uh, yeah, this is where I do my best uh, Jack Black in School of Rock, because finally there's a, an episode where... I, I have a, a wealth of information to, at my fingertips. Uh, the Ramones probably one of the most influential bands of the 20th century. They're generally regarded as the, the first real punk band. And um, they, people often say about them, if, if T-shirt sales were album sales, then they'd be up there with Fleetwood Mac and Elton John. Um, you know, through their lifetime, they had, had a very strong cult following and... Um, really pioneered that, that pop punk sound, that sort of two minute long, thrashy, um, very catchy and very melodic sound. Um, the Ramones 
original lineup. Sadly, none of the original members are still with us. That iconic lineup of Johnny and Joey and Dee Dee and Tommy Ramone, that's seen on their first three album covers, all sadly passed away fairly soon after the band uh, disbanded in 1996. And where CJ Ramone comes in, he was the, uh, the bass player from 1988 onwards. So he played on uh, the band's final three albums, Mondo Bizarro, Acid Eaters, and Adios Amigos, as well as a number of live recordings. And he's generally sort of credited with giving the band a bit of a youthful edge in their, in their final third of their career. He was a lot younger than the rest of the band. And he's sort of gen- generally uh, given credit for giving them that extra energy, that extra push. Uh, he also became sort of the, the second vocalist for the band during that period. And uh, a number of, of notable, as well as playing several hundred gigs a year with the band, uh, he also appeared on The Simpsons and the Ramones' uh, famous cameo on The Simpsons where they play uh, Mr. Burns' birthday, which is, uh, I think, yep, CJ will be the first person I've ever met that's guest starred on The Simpsons. So uh, a wonderful career. He's since then had his own solo career um, and released a number of albums, as he mentions in the show. Uh, but it was just great to hear what a big fan he was of Ray's work as well. Well, I'm excited. I'm always excited to find out what other people have to say. So without further ado, here's CJ Ramon and your wonderful interview with him, Connor. Let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. On the road again. The kids are all so hello, CJ Ramon. Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. How's it going? Hi. And honored to be here this is a great great non-music related topic i i really enjoy talking about so well it's really great to be talking to you and i'd love to hear a little bit about your history as a ray harryhausen fan so uh i i guess um so i'm 56 right so i guess like around you know, probably 70 is like my earliest memories of watching films. And, and uh, one of my earliest memories is of watching uh, Mighty Joe Young. And I know that um, I think Ray had been in that movie. I think he's titled as a technician or possibly assistant animator. Um but um, that would be the very first Ray Harryhausen movie that I had, I remember seeing. Um, back home, Long Island, New York, originally from Queens, but lived on Long Island. Um, Channel 9, WOR, local station, used to have um, the 4.30 movie every afternoon. And once a year, they had Monster Week. Um, and that, just that one show probably was responsible for me seeing... Uh, more race movies than than anything else but um yeah but but that one mighty joe young was uh was actually the first one i saw and in fact um when i got older it uh it became my uh my nickname for my father my father's name is joe and uh and that became my my kind of his moniker uh after a while um notorious for bar fights and just not being fearful of much in the world um and i get so i i actually gave my dad that nickname but yeah that um that movie to me probably was you know uh really had a big impact on me um king kong of course i i i had seen but even 
before I, remembering seeing King Kong, I just, Mighty Joe Young was like the movie. I, it was just so, I, I couldn't imagine that, that, that Mighty Joe Young did not actually, was not an actual physical living thing. Well, I got, I was so drawn in by it. And of course, when you're young, it's easier to suspend your, you know, reality and, and really get into a movie. But I just, I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, wow, where do they keep him? What is it, you know, where is he when he's not making movies? But uh, yeah, that, that was a big one. That was the first one that really kind of boom. And of course, uh, you know, at that point, being young as I was, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really understand the process and everything, but um, over time and seeing the rest of the movies, you know, that, that just became my kind of my favorite type of special effect um, throughout movie making all the way up until probably um, Alien. Alien was probably the next movie from a, you know, horror sci-fi, you know, monster genre that really i was like oh my god this is something totally new so but yeah so you really started you started right at the beginning as you said that's uh that was ray's first movie he was he was first animation uh, assistant it's estimated he did about 90 percent of the animation on that film and willis o'brien right, so was kind of supervising right uh, that's that was uh, interesting i learned of course years later um um was that uh, you know, Ray did most of the physical posing. He did most of that, which, I mean, that's got to be such an incredible experience, you know, to, to study under a mentor or somebody that you grew up. I mean, I can kind of relate, you know, having been in the Ramones to suddenly being working with guys that I grew up idolizing, you know, and I imagine for him and, and how like unlikely to, to actually end up doing that in that role, um, getting there from it being a hobby or, or something that you really enjoy doing to suddenly studying under, you know, somebody that you've looked up to for so long. That's a really cool story in itself. That in itself is like, wow, you know? Yeah, he loved, he loved Willis O'Brien. He loved, um, obviously he went to see King Kong in 1933 and it changed Ray's life. And I think he yeah. saw that film. We've we've got Ray Harryhausen's diary from 1939, and he he has these notes like went to see King Kong today brackets 35th time. So he just repeatedly went to see that film, and we yeah. know how he met Willis O'Brien. It was just through through sheer persistence. He just kept getting in touch and saying, "I've made a model," or "I'm interested in speaking to you." And back in those days, there was no guidebook on how to make stop motion animation, so it was very much you know. How do you do this? Lots of trial and error. And uh, eventually O'Brien took him under his wing. And Mighty Joe Young, what a great experience, as you say. What a, what a learning curve to be on a, a huge movie like that for your first project. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's always an odd, odd situation to meet somebody um, who... Is to who really loves what you do and is really, really inspired by you. Because, you know, a, a lot of times when, when, if you work in creative fields, you know, you kind of feel like nobody's really paying attention to what you're doing. You know what I mean? You're usually so engrossed in creating and everything else that you really tend, you tend to forget that there's people out there that 
it, it, you know, it's beyond just movie making to them, or it's beyond just a, a skill, you know, to them, it's like an all encompassing, oh my God, I have to do that. So when you meet somebody like that, when you're a creative persons and somebody who just wants to like, like know everything of how you do it, it really is inspiring. You know what I mean? To, to the, to the, to the mentor, it's so great to find somebody who latches onto you like that. And is just like, like teach me everything. I want to know how to do it all, you know? Um, and I think, you know, uh, it seems to me anyway, that um, by the time he worked on Mighty Joe Young, he already had a pretty serious skill set. He already had a pretty serious skill set, you know. Um, and of course, uh, you know, in, in subsequent movies, um, it's you know his his skills just get better and better as creation and the animation itself and really I, I mean you can argue you know you could argue that some of the uh, Sinbad movies are like the height of of his creations but you know there's I mean all the way up until you know his last major motion picture I mean. It was his work just always seemed to get better. It like there was never a time when he got to a certain point and he stopped and he was just kind of doing what Ray Harryhausen does. It seemed like with each movie, the 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 movements got smaller and tighter. So the 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 characters, the way they moved seemed uh less and less like stop motion and just flowed, you know, it just the whole flow to their movements was better. Um but the uh, the Clash of the Titans has to be, I mean, to me, it was like he just took the best of everything he had done over the over the years, and Clash of the Titans is just like boom, like it's so, it, it's so cool. It is just so uh, so really well done. The you know the 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 production is at a level I think that. Um, most of his movies before that never really, you know, never really achieved. Um, and not necessarily because of low budgets or anything like that, just technology wise and how, you know, how film was made and everything else. But, um, you know, starting at the end is kind of funny. Well, we went from the beginning to the end in, in short order, but I mean, really, if, if you, if you look at the timeline of his movies, how, how much, better he gets with each one and then clash of the titans it's just like oh lord that is so good and you have to remember by the time he made clash of the titans he was now competing with new technologies that you know were were a lot simpler to create some of these things but it was so much more effective in his style and and in his technique in the in the stop in the stop motion it was so much more effective and it just makes everything so much creepier. And uh, I just, I really, I really like it a lot. Well, you've really bookended Ray's career there with, uh, from his first film to his last, but it's interesting what you say. Clash of the Titans had uh, a bigger budget than all of Ray's solo pictures put together. And it probably has more animation in it than the three Sinbad films combined. It has kind of a bit of everything. And Ray, yeah. as you said, was always innovating, always trying to add new ways of, of bringing his creatures to life on the big screen. But yeah. to your point about, um, about Ray kind of having a little more competition by 1981, um, 
it looked like at that stage, if race film career was going to continue, he would have actually been more of a supervisor uh, in the same manner that Willis O'Brien was and Mighty Joe Young. And he, it sounds like a silly thing to say, but Ray loved stop motion that he liked animating and he didn't want to just be on the chair watching a bunch of younger guys doing it. And that's sort of one of the reasons he decided to call it a day. So there's a parallel there between those, that first movie and that last movie and, and the way that Ray liked to express himself through his art and through his, through his animation. Yeah. You know, it's funny too, like the, um, he almost insinuated himself into directing and production through his special effects it was it was almost like they had to make him more involved in the making of the film because what he was doing was so much was so important to the basic storyline that you know, realistically on any movie he worked on he could obviously you know he could you could consider him part director part producer part special effects i mean he was wearing a lot of hats on top of everything else but the uh the the there's there's a couple of moments in my life as a kid that i've always i always said kind of shaped me or was the kind of the beginnings of the the seeds of what I did later on in life creatively, right? So when I was a little, little guy, my favorite book was Where the Wild Things Are. And I love the story because it was about a, a boy who created an imaginary world, created his whole own imaginary world, right? And he runs away to his imaginary world. And there was something in that story that you could create you know, something in that story about, you know, the theme that you could create an imaginary world and live in it, a world where you controlled what happened, but things could happen that were not in your control. And I, I just, I don't know, I didn't, you know, intellectually, that did not pop into my head as a, you know, a five-year-old or four-year-old, but I understood that later on. And, and Ray's movies had the same effect on me. Because like I said, when, as a child watching them, I was like, the, I, I believe they were real. Like I literally, you know, I was like, oh my God, that's so unbelievable. So, you know, that's one thing I kind of feel like I could relate to in, in and I would imagine that in Ray's mind, um, he was doing a, a lot of the same thing. He was creating his own world through his, through his creative skills and through his imagination. And to me, that's like so lost um, now with a lot of kids because of a myriad of things from both parents working to computers to you know unlimited access to information and everything else. But I think um, you know, my generation was not so different from Ray's generation in that when we grew up, it was up to our imagination and how we could bring our imagination to life with our hands and, and just using our own ideas, you know? Um, and that that's one of the things I really like about Ray. So, you know, working in the movie business, right? Guys like him are not, were not very common. They were not very common, you know? Filmmakers study how to make, you know, films with, you know, great acting and great script and storyline and blah, blah, blah. But you have these outliers. Um, and of course now, 
it's a you know it is a legitimate part of of making movies and everything else the special effects crews and everything else but you gotta remember when you know when o'brien and 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 ray were doing this stuff they were outliers you know what i mean they literally were these <laughs> aliens you know who came to movie making were like we have skills that will make your movie way more effective we can do something that will make your movie better than you could ever do it in any other way. And that's one thing I really, do, I really dig about, you know, special effects guys, even, even up to now. I mean, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, it became a battle over the years with um, what the budget is for the movie and how much we can actually spend and how much time can we spend doing it. Um, and, you know, like I said before, Alien is a, a favorite of mine and, um, H.R. Geiger was, you know, one of my favorite artists and, and, you know, watching the alien movies kind of degrade because he's no longer part of it. And they have a smaller and smaller budget for the alien monster because they have to pay Sigourney Weaver a bigger fee because they're making her shave her head or asking her to make a movie over the course of three years. And, um, and none of that existed before. None of that existed. So Ray really worked in kind of like a, like the, the golden years of filmmaking for special effects when it really wasn't, you know, big budget stuff and every, it was just, you know, whatever it takes to get that done, get it done. You know, that's it. It's, it's, it's the focal point of the movie. That's, you know, especially like with the Sinbad movies mm. was absolutely my favorite. Um, but uh, yeah, it was kind of like um, free reign they, you know, he really kind of had free reign because of that, of of being that type of person, that kind of outlier, alienish. <laughs> Who is this guy, and how did he come up with this? You know. Well, this is the the, the unique thing about Ray. There'll, there'll probably never be anyone like Ray again because. Unlike most special effects technicians, he wasn't usually hired to by somebody to, to create a creature. Um, he was the person that came up with the idea. So he'd, he'd sit and draw. And for every movie yeah. that he did make, there are three or four that didn't make it to the big screen. But yeah. he would go to producers and say, here's what I want to put on. And he'd make these incredible artworks. Like, here's Sinbad fighting a skeleton. Here's a Hydra. Yeah. Here's, you know, War of the Worlds, which is one of the projects. They're all detailed in a book by one of our trustees, John Walsh, called Harry Howes and the Lost Movies. But he had all of his artwork. And he'd say, this is the set piece for, you know, for your new movie. And sometimes it'd get the green light. Sometimes it wouldn't. But he was there. And then, as you say, he would then be on the set he'd have to be directing the actors because they needed to know where the creatures were going to be and where to stand and um so yeah. he was so important and he was really the person behind the movies and we've been lucky enough to speak to some of the actors that work with Ray and they've all said we know who was really in charge there was a director but really everybody looked to Ray as to what to do next yeah I think um was it Guanji? Was that the one that he made? And it didn't come out for a while, right? It was kind of, it got shelved, I think. Um, it did. It came out quite soon after it was made, but it wasn't advertised very well. There'd been a change in uh, leadership, oh, right. I think, at oh, yeah, uh, the, uh, yeah. the production company. Ray wasn't happy with how it, how, after so much work, because it was, it was a, it was an originally a Willis O'Brien project and he'd wanted to make right. it for years and he really poured you know, his heart and soul into it. And then once it was released, it wasn't very well advertised. It wasn't clear what kind of movie it was going to be. Uh, so that's become very much a cult classic. Uh, Cowboys versus think, dinosaurs, what's not to like? I think but. I remember reading that Fantasia came out 
and kind of like it preceded it so it kind of lost some of its shine because uh, no that this is um this is well earlier this was in the 30s ray was making a project called the evolution of the world but he was doing that in, in his garage as a teenager he was making this dinosaur movie um his parents converted a garage into a film you know a little hobby house uh, film studio and he was making um this dinosaur movie which was going to show the evolution of life on earth um, and then around 1941, he went to see Fantasia and went, okay, I'm maybe biting off more than I can chew here. This this looks great. I'm not quite ready yeah. to make a... Uh, but, you know, later, obviously, he made uh, One Million Years BC in the Valley of Guanji, and he was able to put on, you know, the definitive movie monsters of the... of The, uh, the mov definitive movie dinosaurs, sorry, of the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, it, it, it must have been a very, um, a very cool experience for him just to be able to, you know, to to go from making it in his garage to suddenly doing, you know, major releases like doing big movies. You know, what a, it, it, like I said, it's just so different than how um, how most creative people uh, um, break into a business. You know, it's. It, he really went, you know, he really went as far as he possibly could with his own, um, with something that, you know, he really developed on his own, you know, and he really did not completely on his own. Of course, he did have influences and, and whatnot, but to the level that he did it, just nobody had done that before. Nobody had done it to that level before. And, you know, to have the not just the ability to do that, but to be able to create stories that would maximize that, you know, his, the, the stop motion, like, really, I love it. It's just, it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, it's, it's been really like leading up to, to doing this with you. I went back and I watched, um, probably 10 movies. Well, I, I just, because I just came home from tour, right. I've been on tour for seven weeks. So it always takes me at least a week or two to, to kind of get back into the swing of things at home. Um, and when I come home, a lot of times what I do is I'll spend a day or two in bed and just watch movies. So I watched, I probably watched 10 movies or so. Um, and it, it's, Every time I watch them, like I still get like, you know, it kind of transports me back to that, you know, back to the when I was a kid watching them and just being like, wow, it's so great. So I caught you at the perfect time as well, because you, you had that chunk of time to to catch up with the films. I want to go back to to Mighty Joe Young. I thought you might be interested to know that we actually have one of the Mighty Joe Young models in our collection. Um, it wasn't sadly it didn't arrive in our collection until after Ray had passed away, but it was donated to us. Um, he'd seen it several times throughout his life, but because the, the models of Mighty Joe Young weren't built by him, unlike the rest of the collection, which was all Ray, um, he didn't own them. Um, he didn't own that. I think there were four major stop motion models for that film. So we have that, and it's actually currently on display at our Ray Harryhausen Titan of Cinema exhibition in Edinburgh. But uh, we, we've had that model preserved, so um, we have a, a strong uh, 
restoration and preservation program to, to ensure that the models will survive. With the Mighty Joe Young model in particular, we decided that it would not be appropriate to, to restore that model because it wasn't Ray's model. It, it was in very, very poor condition. I mean, if we hadn't done anything, it would have disintegrated eventually. It would just fall to dust. So our conservator, Alan Friswell, he applied a special treatment to kind of freeze them, freeze the model in time. So it still has latex, it still has its face. Um, I'll send you through a picture after this, but uh, okay. Mighty Joe Young still exists within our collection and, and will be around for a long time to come for people to see in person, um, alongside all of Ray's other models too that, that, we, that we look after. So um, I just, I thought you might be interested to know that that model, because that's 1949, so that's over 70 years ago now, and it's still, still with us and still standing. Um, as a All testament right. to to the uh, the great craftsmanship that was that was involved in building that piece, yeah, that's a uh, that's an important one. You know, Ray's wishes were that the creature collection should be displayed. He didn't want to see it locked in a dark room somewhere forever. He didn't want yeah. people set. He didn't want to see them sold in auctions after he passed away. You know, he wanted the 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 collection to be kept together as a cohesive whole. So that's why we have all of these wonderful uh, pieces to. to to show people who maybe weren't around when when Ray's models were, or sorry, when Ray's films were on release. Um, and that brings me on, do you, after watching all of these films, do you have any specific favorite creatures that that stood out to you from, from Ray's catalog? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really tough um, to, to kind of pick one out because they are all, all, you know, so, you know, Medusa obviously is like, to me, uh, that's probably, that's probably, probably the height for me. I, I think Medusa is probably um, one of his coolest creations. And the, I mean, just the way that he makes her body transform, um, you know, uh, uh, into the snake's body um, at the lower half. And the fact that he, he made it a, a rattlesnake, um, you know, uh, th th there are other, other movies where they, they try to, um, you know, they try to make Medusa a, an actual, um, you know, an act, an act, actor playing Medusa. And it always looked ridiculous, you know, it really did, but he could do whatever he wanted. And, you know, there's, so, there's a lot of creative license, right? I mean, you know, in that also, you know, everything we're watching comes from, you know, Greek mythology, but the Kraken is from Norse mythology. But like, you know, that's the, the great thing about it. He was like, I don't care if it's not from Greek mythology, it makes a great character. I can make a really cool monster out of it. Um, but I think Medusa is is probably, to me anyway, for, for what he did, I think that's probably the height. I think right there, that's the height. But... Um, you know, I really like Talos and I, I like the troglodyte a lot. I thought the troglodyte was great. And especially um, when Prince Cassim starts, you know, as a baboon starts talking to the troglodyte and they, they like have a, an ability to communicate and the, and the troglodyte, you know, then brings them to the temple. And that like, that was really cool. Um, the, the Cyclops, obviously is a, an, another great one. Um, oh, okay. So the, let me see if I have the harpies, 
oh, harpies. Yeah. The harpies I really enjoyed. Um, not just because of the way they flew and, and how they looked or, or anything, but they never really got close up on their faces. There's no real close up on their faces, but there's one part when they're in the cage as they're about to leave um, where they show their faces and their faces are so um, um, just featureless. And all you really see is the eyes and it made them even creepier that he didn't try to do some, you know, something really ornate or, you know, really detailed. He just made like a mask with eyes. And I always loved that. I always thought that was such a great detail, um, you know, because it, you can overdo things also. Some things, you know, they sometimes they use too much detail on stuff and it kind of loses the, the mystique to it. You know, it, they maintained some kind of like otherworldly mystique because they had no facial features. It was, I just, it, it seems like a small thing, but like I've watched the movies enough times that like I love looking for those little things, you know, things that you, you, you might miss, you know, if you only watched it once or twice. Um, um, Calabas was another one I thought was really, really great. Um, and the actor who actually played Calibas had some strange, naturally some strange features, which just added even more to the character. Um, uh, you know, everything. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Neil McCarthy, he actually had a form of uh, gi gigantism or giantism. I'm not sure if I'm getting that word right, but he actually had a, a condition that sort of uh, exaggerated his yeah. features. And I mean, he was, yeah. he was brilliant. And that, again, that's uh, unique for Ray in that he had a, a human actor playing the close-ups and then a stop-motion model for the for the fight sequences. Uh, again, pushing pushing the techniques to the limits in terms of what he what he could do for his final film. The um, one of the other ones, uh, uh, another big favorite, is in the I think it's yes, yeah, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, the uh, figurehead off the mast of the, off the front of the ship at, when it tears itself away and it starts walking around on deck. I just thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, and really, I mean, to come up with something like that is, you know, to make it happen is one thing, but to develop the idea, like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I really appreciated, you know, the, the creatures that he brought to life for more reasons than just because they looked really cool in stop animation. Like the, having that, you know, having the idea, give, you know, just coming up with the idea of this is what we're going to do, you know, like we're going to, um, the Minotaur, um, that's the, is that the eye of the tiger? That's a, a Minotaur here to show you. This is, uh, this isn't the original Minotaur, the original Minotaur's in our exhibition, but this is one of the standard models that was built for lighting tests and so forth for eye of the tiger. Um, and, for every model in our collection, there's there tends to be two or three stand-ins or prototypes. I thought you might like to see Minotaur here. Then is sort of uh, so there's um that um in in that movie when the witch is bringing the Minotaur to life, she holds up this heart with gears and stuff in it. Right. And then she places it in the Minotaur and puts a couple drops on it, blood on it. This is an interesting thing. A connect this, this is how much I like his movies. So um 
they found in a Greek shipwreck a uh, a, a computer, like literally, oh. like a, a a small computer, and I can't remember what it's called. The Antiques. I can't think of the name of it, but um, it, it's 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 pretty well known. It was it was found in a Greek shipwreck. Um, they believe it was an early form of a computer. So as I was rewatching the movies the other day, and 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 the witch takes you know takes out the heart, and you could see the gears in it, and immediately it jumped into my head. I was like, I wonder if I wonder. I'm not sure if they discovered that before the making of the movie. I don't think they did. I, I think it was actually discovered later, but I was like, it was such a cool thing, you know, such a weird, like, you know, fantasy reality thing coming together. I was like, wow, that is so cool. That, and especially, you know, we were talking about old Greek gods and, and stuff like that too. So pretty neat. Pretty Perfect. Neat. Oh, we still have that heart in the collection too. And that, that, uh, that, that, that clockwork heart, uh, that's, that's, again, that's on display in Edinburgh. Well, C, uh, CJ, it sounds like you need to come and see this exhibition because you're such oh. an expert on all of these, all of these creations. You're, uh, you're filling in uh, so much detail on all of these models. Um, this is, is really interesting to, to talk to you about this. And uh, what so great to talk to such a huge fan. Um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about your, your kind of music career now in terms of movies and how Ray may have influenced you. Do you find that there's many people in bands that you've played with that are also fans of, of Ray's films or is this kind of something that's unique, unique to yourself? Um, I, uh, yeah. Well, I, well, I know definitely um, some of the guys over the years that I've played with, um, Johnny Ramone, um, uh, especially was a, a fan. Johnny was a huge movie fan. He had one of the biggest collections of high-end movie posters um, uh, in the world. Um, and in fact, I had uh, a couple of the movie posters from um, a few of Ray's movies uh, in my collection back in the uh, back in the nineties. I think. I had one of them hanging in the house. It might have been Jason and the Argonauts. I mean that we we, we didn't even get to that movie, and that movie was just like, oh my god, <laughs> that one is really really great. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I, you know when when you work in the arts, whether regardless of the medium, you know what I mean, whether it's music or paint or writing or there are, I think there's certain artists whose um, influence kind of crosses over. And like I said, I mean, you watch Ray's movies, you can't help but be inspired or, or to walk away, you know, in awe. You know what I mean? It's, you know, I, most musicians that I know are not just inspired by music. They're inspired by everything creative that they see and everything they do, you know. Um, whether it's movies or, you know, painting or, you know, poets, um, everything that you, um, you experience create creatively has an, an influence on you. And, and like I said, I know there's definitely more than a couple of people that I've discussed raised mo movies with over the years. Um, uh, in fact, um, Carolyn Monroe, I actually, um, got to meet and became friends with and uh and um 
when I, uh, the last time I played in London, invited her out to the show, the rest of the, the guys on the band um, uh, got to meet her and, uh, you know, talked about some of the movies that she had done and everything. And everyone's favorite was the Golden Voyages in bed because she is just so exceedingly hot in that movie and plays a big role in it. And um, yes, I think, I think a lot, a lot of uh, guys of a certain generation feel the same way. But I, obviously, I've known yeah. Caroline. Um, she works really closely with us in the foundation. She was a trustee. She's an advisor now. She's a brilliant ambassador for Ray's Films. She's such a wonderful woman as well. She's so kind and so um, like thoughtful and, and interesting to speak to. And she's had this incredible career that's that spanned oh, yeah. Harryhausen, Hammer movies, uh, James Bond, and, and lots of other interesting things in between. I called Caroline, I spoke to Caroline on Monday and she, and I mentioned that I was going to be speaking to you and she was delighted. She said, oh, to give CJ all my love. She was, she was uh, really happy that we'd gotten in touch. But she told me a really funny story. She said that uh, in 1978, she was doing a signing session in New York and uh, Joey and Johnny Ramon turned up at the signing session and stood in the queue. I think she said it was that those two uh, stood in the queue and she said she's got a great photo of Joey Ramoshi who, who gave her a rose. So they took a, a photo together with this flower. And to me, that's quite a, um, it's quite an outrageous um, scene, like, you know, to, to visualise. You know, in 1978, obviously the Ramones uh, at that stage in their career, queuing up to meet Caroline and, and being so sort of polite and, and excited to meet with her. Um, it just goes to show what an impact her films had um, and yeah. at that time period. And it's just a lovely, a lovely story. I mean, it, it was great to know that she'd met you know, your, your other bad mates that are, are sadly no longer with us. Uh, I, I hope she can find that photo because I'd love to see it. I, um, uh, uh related, um, I was working on my third record post Ramones. I think it's my third record. And, um, I was, uh, my, my writing process, um, when I'm writing new songs, I usually, uh, isolate myself and make a big pot of coffee and get a bottle of Jack Daniels and coffee and Jack Daniels. And I stay awake for a lot of hours and I writing, writing, writing. Um, but there was one evening I was really having a tough time um, coming up with, with lyrics. So um, I busted out my laptop and um, I started scrolling through films and I came up on Dracula um, AD 1972. And um I put it on and I started watching it and I wrote a song for Caroline called girlfriend in a graveyard. And, uh, um, fast forward two years or so I was doing a, uh, a horror convention and autograph signing at a horror convention. And my agent said, I know you're a big Caroline Monroe fan. And I wanted to let you know she's here. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, she's here. Not only was she there, she came over to my table. She came over to my table and, and I told her the whole story. I was like, this song I wrote for you. And I was like a stupid teenager and falling over myself. And she was such a lovely gal, just no attitude, no airs, willing to talk about anything. Um, and, and so that's how I met her and, and how I got to be friendly with her and, um, and yeah, it's such a thrill 
you know, to meet her. And the, the first place I had ever seen her was in Ray's film. Wow. So, just like that. Fantastic. So, and it's great to connect all those years later, you know, and Caroline, yeah. I think it's four, 45 years ago now uh, from Golden Voyage of Simvad. And she's, you know, she's still out there talking about that film and, and introducing people to, to Ray's work. Um, do you yeah. think you would ever write a song about Ray's films or, or maybe about, you know, you could write a song about Caroline's character in the Golden Voyage, but, you know, but wider about Ray's that creatures. Be, that would be very easy. That would be a very easy one to do. Like I said, you know, I, I really took a lot of inspiration from, from uh, film in general, but Ray's films in particular. Like I said, you know, creating your own world, creating your own reality, just using your imagination and your hands, you know, that's, that's not, a, not a common thing. It's really not a common thing. And, and I think that's why, I, you know, I really, I, I love and respect Ray's work as much as I do. I did hear, you know, I heard that track Girlfriend in a Graveyard and I was listening I, before I knew that you'd met Caroline. I was like, this is definitely about Caroline. This is about Dracula AD. This is, you know, there's no way it could be about anybody else. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, it, it, it's, you know, like I said, the influences that, that come out sometimes the you know, the things you find yourself writing lyrics about where, you know, in the moment, in the moment when you're writing it out, you know, it's like you're just going with the flow. And and sometimes it takes a while, um, usually after the song is recorded and and you're sitting down listening to it. And all of a sudden you go, I know where I got that idea from. I know where that came from. You know, Girlfriend in the Graveyard, it was obvious it was on the spot. But, yeah. you know, a lot of a, a lot of other songs I've written, uh, you know, sitting down, I go, oh, that's where that came came from like now I get it it's it's weird you know things come out of your subconscious into your conscious mind and but it takes a little while for you to kind of recognize it and go right okay that's where it's from but you know that's the um uh you know the the the, the type of artist I've always appreciated the most are the guys where you just don't know where their um influences came from Right. The, 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 like the kind of Genesis type of people. Right. And, and to me, uh, you know, and, and I know uh, um, it had been done before Ray started doing it, but Ray really did it to a point that, it, you know, nobody had gone there with it like he did and nobody has done it since, you know, he really is kind of like the, he's the guy. He is the guy. <laughs> this is, I mean, this has been really brilliant and it's great to hear you talking about Ray like that. I wonder if, because be, there's bound to be you know, fans of your music that are listening to this that don't know about the foundation and vice versa, fans of Ray that um, you know, maybe haven't heard your, your recent work. Could you tell us a little bit about what, what you're up to just now and your, your, any albums you've got in the pipeline or tours that you've got lined up? So the... Um... So, of course, you know, I played with the Ramones from 89 to 96. We retired in 96. I took a couple of years off and, and started a family. Um, and uh, um, then I went back out on the road as CJ Ramone, and I did that for another 10 years. And then 2019, um, I came home from a tour in Australia, and I decided I was going to retire. That was going to be it. Um, you know, I, ha I had 30-plus years on the road at that point, and... Uh, felt like I had kind of accomplished everything I wanted to musically. Um, 
but I got asked by a band called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. They're um, uh, it's a bunch of guys from other famous bands from out here on the West Coast, and uh, we do covers from everything from the '60s to the '70s to the '80s, '50s. But we do more punk rock style, and we wear these very kind of uh, Las Vegas type of uh, outfits and stuff. It's a it's it's a fun show. It's a lot of fun. It's really interesting. I get to really just slay it on the bass and play whatever I want. So that's what I've been doing. Um, that's what I started. I actually just started touring with them um, since the whole lockdown kind of let up a little bit in the States. Um, and we have some Christmas shows coming up in California. We got a couple of shows coming up and that's what I'll be doing for the next couple of years. I think we, we actually, I think we are talking about uh, Europe in 2022. Um, Europe and Australia, I think is another one that we've been, uh, that's been tabled. Uh, so we're hoping that you guys can get yourselves to a point where we can be invited over and, and come and uh, play some live music. Fingers crossed. I want to come and see you with Caroline. I want to go and uh, enjoy 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 the show with her because uh, yeah. she's got she got good taste in music too. So I'd like to come and check you guys out. And hopefully, as I say, touring will be possible again uh, yeah. one day. Well, thank you for that update. And, and your your recent albums uh, as CJ Ramon, they're still available to buy on on Bandcamp oh, yeah. and other places, aren't they? So so yep. people are interested. Yeah. My records are all out on Fat Records um and you know there's four or five of them out there my last one was called the holy spell um you know it's a, a full full length record so yeah there's a couple of them out there if you're interested excellent yeah no people should check them out because they're really good especially you know if you love the Ramones, it's uh you know it's that great uh that, that great upbeat punk rock which i think the world needs just now <laughs> um you know music to put a smile on your face yeah, um absolutely. just to, to wrap things up, um, obviously what we're working with at the foundation is, is preserving Ray's legacy for future generations. And this year marked the 40th anniversary of Clash of the Titans. So Ray's last film was four decades ago now, and which is before I was born. So, you know, it's really important for us to make sure that, you know, new fans learn about Ray's work, people who are getting into filmmaking and young animators. We've actually just set up a Harryhausen Awards for 2022, which will be an awards for young filmmakers, young animators, people who are people in all sorts of stages of their career. But the idea is to, to maintain Ray's legacy. You're obviously a very passionate fan of Ray's work. I mean, how important do you think that it's in that it is to, to teach people about this style of animation? Uh, you know, I, the, the style of animation is definitely an, um, an important part. You know, that is, you know, the, the technical aspects of it and the creative aspects of it are, are, are really, uh, that's really important. You know, but the, 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 other, the other side of it too is um, it's really, to try to get creative people to think independently, to not necessarily follow trends or, you know, or, or, or just kind of go with what's going on in the industry. And, you know, it, it's important to inspire people to, to have their own voice and, and say it in a way that they want to say it, right? And I think like that's like a, one of the major parts of, of Ray's legacy. He was just like, I know this is great. I know this makes great movies. I'm doing it this way. 
you know, that's such a big part of his legacy that he kind of stood on his own. Right. Really, really, he did. He did it all. I, when I heard that his dad initially made the um, the the uh, skeletons for the posable figures. How cool is that? You know mm. what I mean? Like how like how real is that? You know what I mean? It's, he, you know, to have your family involved with it. You know what I mean? That there's so much more to his legacy than just um, just the great films. You know, his approach, his outlook, you know, the like doing it the way that he wanted to do it and having maintaining control over it because he had his vision that he was following. You know what I mean? That's creative genius. That's not just a good animator or just a good filmmaker. That's really creative genius. That's a that's somebody with talents that are not, even amongst the talented that are rare. And that's what I think makes him different than than most anybody else who worked in that field cg i don't think there's anything else i could add to that that's perfect thank you so much for talking to us today uh what a, a brilliant to hear your memories of ray uh, really wonderful to hear what a big fan you are hopefully we'll be able to meet up at some point in future and i'll be able to show you some of these creatures in person it'd be a, a great honor to do so uh, that would be that would be like the holy grail for me we'll, we'll get there one day Well, a great lesson there, Connor, in sliding into someone's DMs. Um, as, as the young folks say, I'm going to slide into your DMs, into your direct messages. Um, great. Well done to you for, um, for reaching out and, and getting such a, a fabulous scoop of an interview. And I think that's a potential Rondo Award nominee, even if I do say so myself. So well done to you, sir. Um, what, what did you find out new about CJ Ramon from chatting to him? Well, I must say that I was... Uh astounded and delighted to find that he had approached the interview with a, with a pile of notes that he'd made while watching Ray's films. I mean, that was, that was just such a, such a nice thing for him to do. And uh, just chatting away there, um, as he mentioned in, the, in our chat, people from different backgrounds appreciated and took inspiration from Ray's work. So you might not necessarily think that the guitarist in a punk band is going to be a, have this encyclopedic knowledge of Ray's films, but yet he mentioned that throughout his career and his, his fellow bandmates in the Ramones were all huge fans of Ray's work. And I, I don't want to misrepresent things here. I told Vanessa that I'd been chatting to, to these musicians and she did laugh. She said, you know, my dad, he was not a, he was not a fan of punk rock. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, a rocker. So, I, you know, Ray maybe wouldn't have understood the music, but I'm sure he would have understood that inspiration, that the sort of the creativity that's handed down through the generations and the artistry involved. So uh, a big thanks to CJ for taking the time and hopefully uh, we'll see him on the road at some point ourselves, uh, you know, on our travels at a screening or future convention, uh, because it was lovely to chat and we've made a, a, new friend, a new friend for the foundation. Absolutely. You know, and I think Ray would love the fact that someone else who was also famous, like Ray is and Ray was, um, appreciates his work. So um, thanks very much to CJ Ramon for coming on and chatting with us. And next time you slip on a vinyl or a cassette or even a CD or, or, a, or a streaming service, if you have to think of Ray Harryhausen when you're listening to the Ramones. What a lovely combination. 
Excellent. Well, thanks, Connor. That was great work. And uh, we look forward to listening to uh, to more of your interviews with more music folk, because I think there's some more coming up for next time. But uh, now, Connor, in other news, we have um, some advanced news to talk about with our Ray Harryhausen Award, which, of course, is the inaugural one this year. So applications are open. Is that right? Yes, that's right. You can apply now to the Ray Harryhausen Awards and you can apply directly through the website, harryhausenawards.com, which should be um, easy enough to find if, if you Google Harryhausen Awards. We're also on Film Freeway and you can submit through that website too. Um, and yes, uh, we're, we're, we're starting to, to receive our submissions in time for the deadline of April the 15th. Now, please do get in touch through any of our channels if you have any questions about the awards. We'd be happy to assist. You can submit to our six award categories, which are Best Feature Animation, Best Short Film Animation, Best Student Film Animation, Best Commercial Film Animation, Best Television Film Animation, and Best Children's Film Animation, which, is, uh, which has a free entry, that particular category. So as I say, it's, uh, it's exciting. We're starting to, to see people's films coming in. And uh, please get your entry in uh, or get in touch if you have any queries about your submission. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a fantastic way of marking Ray Harryhausen's birthday this year as the winners will be announced on June 29th. And uh, another chance to see how his influence spreads down the generations. Absolutely. Great. So if you'd like to apply for the Ray Harryhausen Award, simply log on to harryhausenawards.com. And uh, until next time, Connor, stay safe and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419. 2022. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustees or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com, where you can also find our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter links. Music